In a time where we have hundreds of conversations in a day, sometimes we need to slow down and learn a person's journey. Knowing so many extraordinary people from various walks of life has led me to believe that we need to unravel the answers to so many questions that often go unanswered. This is where we talk about the tough stuff that makes us extraordinary. My name is Liv, and I believe these conversations hold tremendous value in the journey to discover who we are and who we share our world with. Welcome to Ordinary Conversations with Extraordinary People. This is The Modern Badass. Today's episode is the first of a four-part bonus series uh, featuring yours truly, me. It's Olivia. So... The whole purpose behind creating The Modern Badass was as a means of storytelling. And I have so many people whose stories I want to share and I'm so excited to share. But one of the things I feel compelled to do is to share my story. And my story is made up of four major chapters. Today's story is about my time in cleats. So I hope you are ready to tune in grab a hot beverage, grab a tea, grab a coffee, whatever you need. And yeah, I I hope you enjoy listening to that chapter. That means so much to me and that I'm excited to share, a little bit nervous to share, but it's a big part of who I am, who I was, and what I'm taking forward with me into life. I was in grade seven the first time I chickened out for a tryout. It was the first time and the last time. I wasn't a showy player. I didn't have any fancy moves. I wasn't fast and I was never the best. I knew I probably wasn't what they were looking for. Cue the era of the wasn'ts. I wasn't what they were looking for. I wasn't the person they needed me to be. I wasn't the soccer player they had hoped I would be. I wasn't the tallest, the strongest, or the most noticeable on the field. I was what Pops called Steady Eddie in the midfield and on the back line a few years later. This is the chapter of my life I spent in cleats and how it changed me, mostly for the better, but in some painful ways, the worse. I first felt important on the soccer field when I started playing for the local Y League team. This was a summer program that traveled to various parts of BC and Washington as part of a high-performance league. We were issued a fancy kit with a special travel shirt. We were told to arrive to the field wearing our khakis to look professional before having a pre-game locker room chat. I was 13 or 14 years old and had a good experience on that team. I honestly cannot remember if we won or lost the majority of our games but I remember playing with and against girls that were bigger, stronger, and faster than me. It was the first time that I was even the slightest bit hungry for more. Like I said, I wasn't the fastest, the strongest, the skinniest, and I didn't have any flashy moves that made me stand out from the rest. I had thick thighs, I didn't back down from a tackle, and I didn't complain. I worked really hard, I communicated well, and I wasn't afraid of physical play, But in a world of goal scorers, natural attackers, the hard-nosed defenders, well, a person like me that had been a coach to work hard and communicate well and to get stuck into tackles, 
we didn't exactly stand out. The best teams had the best players and the best players always stood out. The next few years were a bit of a blur. I remember playing on various teams, but I was also likely taking a couple dozen headers uh, during each training session and each game, which may be why my memory is a little foggy on details and dates. I know there were no days off, so sorry, Mom. I know it made for a lot of laundry and a quick turnaround time. I played in Surrey with some longtime teammates and friends, but naturally, not everyone was going to pursue soccer right up until the end of their youth days. We had a number of girls that were multi-sport athletes until our team had to split up for everyone to pursue their passions. The remaining players went in various directions within our league. I was lucky enough to land a spot on a great team in Coquillum. At that point, I had also been asked to train and play as part of the Vancouver Whitecaps Youth Development Program. This was the environment that the people in my league strive for. This was the environment that meant something. To be a part of that program and to wear Whitecaps colors was so meaningful at that time. It meant that I had been recognized for my hard work and that I was considered to be among the elite players in our league. We were being trained by professional coaches two to three times a a week, in addition to our regular league team practices, another two to three times a week, add in our league games once a week, the occasional friendly with the Whitecaps Academy, plus high school soccer and individual training sessions. I was easily in cleats for at least 20 hours per week. Did I love it? I think so. I like to think I did. But in a lot of ways, it was also just all I knew about myself. I was Olivia the soccer player and Olivia the soccer player always played soccer. In the spring of 2006, I found out I made the under 15 Whitecaps Y League team. This, I thought, was about to be the best experience of my life. And in a lot of ways, it was a positive experience. We had seminars on nutrition, we had a great training environment, and the game day experience felt professional with national anthems and all that jazz. But I didn't start. Although I wasn't a flashy player, a goal scorer, or the best player on my club teams, I'd always started. But on this team, I just wasn't good enough. It was the first time that I had that feeling of lack of worth. I don't remember there being tears. I just remember feeling a pit in my stomach like I had let everyone down. This was an expensive development program that my family was paying for, but I wasn't even performing well enough to see the field. The time it took for my parents and my teammates' parents to drive me to training was significant, and I wasn't even good enough to start. Like I said, it was the first time soccer made me feel unimportant. Don't get me wrong, I didn't ride the bench the entire time, but our center midfield was strong and solid, so our Positions, well, my position of choice was being occupied by other players that were often better than me and and undoubtedly were better than me. There were some very talented players on that team. So when I did get my cleats on the field during a game, most oftentimes it was for the sole purpose of giving other players a break. I was being subbed in most oftentimes as an outside midfielder. Everyone knows that a good outside midfielder is among the fastest people on the field, and they're often crafty with their quick footwork. I had neither of those skills in my toolbox. Until then, I played pretty exclusively in the center of the park. That was my home, and that's where I felt most comfortable. 
surrounded by support and able to distribute based on my vision. I knew I had a role to play on the team because I was giving my teammates time to rest, but playing stints of 15 to 20 minutes a half in a position that felt foreign to me just wasn't fulfilling. But 15-year-old Liv was in a tough place. Most of me felt like I should just be honored to be on the team. Most of me felt like I didn't have a say in any of this. I can't be the girl who goes and asks for more playing time. I can't be the girl that complains. So I kept working hard and played my role as best as I could. It was really hard and really deflating. The last few games of the season rolled around and our team had been hit by a wave of injuries. We had a couple of players that went down with season-ending injuries and then a couple more with nagging issues like pulled muscles and strained muscles. I was told at a training session that I'd be playing significant minutes that weekend. These were two must-win games to head to the North American Championships in Florida that November. I thought I'd be playing as a midfielder on the wing again, as that's what I had done all season in my short stints on the field. To my surprise, when the starting lineup was announced, I saw that I was starting as center defender. Okay, cue a bit of panic here. I spent most of our warm-up time asking our assistant coach about that, that position. This was a new one for me. Center back. Typically, these are some of the tallest, strongest players on the field. Yes, I had developed strength, but I had finished growing and was only about five foot three. Not the most intimidating looking player on the field, and it was pretty obvious. My assistant coach knew about the experience I had as a center midfielder with my club teams. He knew that I felt like a fish out of water on the wing, and he also saw my potential as a center back. The way it was explained to me was that I should play like a center midfielder while keeping in mind that the only person behind me is the keeper, not another line of field players. So with that advice in mind, I played arguably some of the best soccer of my youth career that weekend. I remember feeling at home in the middle portion of the field, a place where I could see the play unfolding in front of me and around me. I was winning balls in the air, distributing the ball to various teammates, and I was getting stuck into 50-50 tackles like I usually did. And that is how I earned my starting spot as a center back. My grade 11 year was a tough one. My grandma passed away that October after a battle with cancer. She was a huge support system for me and all my cousins in our various sports. She rarely missed an opportunity to see us play. When she wasn't able to come to my games anymore, I knew it was serious. I knew that she must be really sick and that it was going to be something that would take her life. This often ran through my head before games, and while my worthiness on the field with the Whitecaps increased, I remember knowing so well that the spine of our family was slipping away. My grandma passed away on October 26, 2006. That day I went to school. That evening I went to soccer practice. Just over a week later, I was on a plane to Florida with my team to head to the Y League finals. Back to business. Grief was a distraction that I couldn't afford to let in. I had just proven that I was worthy of time on the field and my identity and worth as a human was rooted so deeply in what I was able to do on that field. I just had to keep going with what my normal was. Fast forward to the summer before my grade 12 year of high school. At this point, I had been seen by a few schools in the US and had started the recruiting process. It was lengthy. My dad taped all the, uh, all the games. He had the camcorder out 
and he spent hours editing footage to put the clips together. I spent hours in cleats only to come home to hours of emails to be sent and questionnaires to be filled out. I wrote the SAT. I worked hard to keep my grades at school as high as I could. I was getting great coaching at the club level in Coquitlam. I had strong female role models and I continued training with the Whitecaps program. Center back was my new comfort zone on the field. Things overall were going well. In the summer of 2007, I visited Austin Peay State University in Clarksville, Tennessee. The coach there, Kelly, happened to be the older sister of my club coach, Andrea. It was a good opportunity to see if it would be a good fit as a potential college choice and as an environment in which I could play at the next level. I arrived and I was in awe of the campus. Buildings were built with red bricks and had white pillars at the entrances. The lawns were manicured. The lampposts on surrounding streets off campus had university flags flying. Even the local Walmart sold t-shirts that had the university mascot on them. I knew right away that this was not an experience I would ever get if I stayed in Canada. I went there for the first time to attend a camp for high school students. Essentially, it's a way for college coaches to get a look at prospective student athletes that may be interested in pursuing scholarships. I met some of the current girls on the team and some of the other prospects. Overall, it was a good experience and I was excited by the offer that came through based on my performance at that camp and what Kelly knew about me. I went home, I briefly chatted with my parents about camp and how great it was, and then I called Kelly a day or two later to make my verbal commitment. It was confirmed, I was headed to the state of Tennessee, and I was so excited about it. I went back to school in September feeling elated. While peers were stressing about scholarships and applications and figuring out their next chapter, I was already set and I had had my decision made. School was hard, sure, but I managed to get by in my senior year. I tore my MCL in my right knee that fall, not long before I was set to visit Austin P with my parents and sister. To arrive there on crutches was so embarrassing, something I absolutely hated. I didn't want to have that reputation of somebody that was weak. I didn't want that reputation of someone that was injured or not able to perform. I had been assured by my physiotherapist and my doctors that an MCL injury was only a three to four month recovery, that my late July departure would still have me leaving healthy and ready to go for preseason. On that trip, I hobbled around campus and toured the athletic facilities. I was still so excited that I'd be calling this place home. It was so foreign. It was an entirely new world to me. Everyone talked with a Southern accent. I knew this was a place where I could do well and have a great four years. On July 21st, 2008, I went to my morning personal training session at a facility called iQuest. This place was awesome. I was getting ready for the fitness test at Austin P and was finally meeting the times I needed to hit. Even though I was worthy of a soccer scholarship, speed and quickness were still not my strong suits. I was riding a high that day and nothing could bring me down because I was crushing the times that I needed to get. So after my training session, I went to work. I was working for the city of Surrey as a day camp leader. I played floor hockey with my camp kids all day and then we went straight to my game with my women's summer team at South Surrey Athletic Park. I remember eating a PB&J on the way to that game. It had been a busy day and I think I even missed part of the warm up. Either way, 
It was about 20 minutes into the game when I challenged to clear a bouncing ball right in front of the opposing team's bench. I'd done this thousands of times. As I made contact with my left foot and cleared it up the field, my right foot that was planted firmly in the artificial turf stayed where it was. As my hips and entire body rotated, my planted foot didn't budge, and I had a shearing, tearing feeling rip through my right knee. This wasn't the same feeling I had felt nine months earlier when I'd torn my MCL. This one felt like two very strong, brand new pieces of Velcro that were stuck together that were being torn apart methodically and painfully. I knew right away that it wasn't good. And like many teammates that I'd seen do the same over the years, I fell to the ground in pain and punched the turf and knew that it would be a long wait until I wore my cleats again. My first year at Austin P was as a red shirt freshman. This meant that I, would, that I wouldn't be playing due to injury. I was the new kid, the foreign kid, the underage kid, and now the injured kid. I was prepared for the other ones, but I never thought I'd be sitting on the sidelines, ice pack on my knee, watching my new teammates come together in ways that I just couldn't be a part of. This injury was a torn ACL, and anyone in the sports world knows that it's pretty much a full year recovery for an athlete to get back to the sport they love at the level at which they should be playing. Even with physical therapy twice a day, I had to wait until I came back to Canada at Christmas time for my surgery. It was going to be difficult to make it back to the field for next August preseason, even if everything went according to plan. In the meantime, I had a fun freshman year. I made amazing connections with my teammates off the field. We laughed, we cried, we partied a bit. We made some big mistakes, we got into a bit of trouble, but I was still hungry to get back to playing. That worthlessness was creeping its way back in. One of my closest friends, Ken's, was also a redshirt freshman. She'd had a bone tumor removed from her ankle and was recovering from that surgery during our first year. So we were sideline buddies, and now I know I probably wouldn't have stayed afloat that year if it had not been for her by my side. We struggled a lot with our identities in that first year. For me, soccer had de defined my competence in life. I wasn't really good at anything else. Soccer had always just been the one thing in which I had invested my energy, and now it wasn't paying off in the ways I expected it to. I'm not able to do what I am supposed to be able to do. So, fast forward to my sophomore year, I re-injured my knee, and it's worse this time around. My freshman year, I had two knee surgeries to repair that damn ACL, and now I needed a reconstructed patella. Not ideal, but considering that my previous ACL surgery had just been in June, I wasn't going to be ready to play for my sophomore year anyway. But I was spiraling. This isn't the way it was supposed to be, and the darkness was settling in. I ate, I gained weight, I drank. I didn't know how to cope. I had never really had to cope before. Soccer was my coping. Looking back at when things didn't go well growing up, soccer was consistently there for me. I always had a soccer practice. I always had a soccer game. I didn't know how to talk about my feelings. I didn't even truly know how to feel without trying to suppress everything and stash it away into the deep, dark pits of myself. It was a lonely place to be. While my friendships were growing, 
my self-worth was dwindling. I was asked to be at Austin P for a certain reason, and that was to play soccer. And not being able to fulfill my end of the deal was crippling to my outlook on who I was as a person. I was no longer Olivia the soccer player. I could no longer sit with that identity in confidence. My junior year, I was healthy enough to be cleared to play, but I wasn't fit enough. Two years away from soccer and two years in the university cafeteria had meant that my body had changed. In my depressive state in which I had been immersed, food was my comfort, and I lived for Sunday morning Waffle House, Friday night Casablanca, and daily lunches at the cafeteria. I ate like I was still playing the 20 plus hours per week that I was in high school, and my body paid the price. I was ultimately trying to do undo, I was ultimately trying to undo two years of recklessness. That year, both of my grandpas had fallen ill. Both had cancer and both were dying. I'd said goodbye to them when I left for preseason at the end of July, full well knowing that I likely wouldn't see either one of them again. My grandpa Jones was in palliative care and, I, and, and he wasn't able to answer when I said my goodbye. My grandpa Fournier was still at home, but he was deteriorating quickly. It was emotional, but as I had learned with my grandma's passing four years earlier, there is no real time to feel. There's only time to make forward progress. My grandpa's passed away within a few days of one another, about a week after my return to Tennessee for preseason. Being in preseason was intense, and while I knew that both of my grandpas were not going to be there for my next visit home at Christmas, I really did think I had more time. My coach and my teammates were so incredibly supportive during that time. Selfishly, I wanted to be on the field because that's what I had worked for. I had only had one other loss in my life. That was my grandma. And I kept lacing up my cleats and making forward progress. This would be no different. I chose not to go home for a time of mourning, but yet to continue mourning on my terms on the soccer field and to continue pushing away any feelings. That year, it took me six attempts at the grueling fitness test to finally pass and to be handed a jersey to dress for my first college soccer game. It was humiliating to not be able to move the same way that I had pre-injury. I was in my third year and had worn the cleats for training, but tying them up for a game really was a dream come true. We were playing at Troy University when I was subbed in late in the game. My parents were able to watch it on a live stream back home in Canada. I remember feeling tingly and like the game was just happening around me. When I watched film after the fact, I wasn't mistaken. The game actually was just taking place around me. I couldn't get involved in the game. Looking back on the box score, I played a total of eight minutes and we got scored on in that eight minutes. In hindsight, I truly was a liability to our team out there. It had been 777 days since the last time I wore my cleats in a game. We lost and I was disappointed I couldn't contribute to my team's play. As my teammate showered after the game, I remember crying in a bathroom stall, devastated that I wasn't the player that had been recruited three years before. The season went on and I got a bit fitter and as injuries occurred, I think coach kind of had to play me. It was like I was playing the same role that I had played with the Whitecaps, 
My purpose on the field was to give other players a break. This time around, I'd take it. I was so torn between just being thankful to be given this opportunity and absolutely hating myself because I was a piece of shit human being for staying on a team where my level of play was nowhere near where it needed to be to contribute anything to our team's success. It was awful. My role shifted on the team. I wasn't quick enough or fit enough to play on the back line and our midfield was so solid. That year, in 2010, we had what I would say was the best soccer team Austin P has ever seen. Most of my time on the field that year was as a target forward. Because I had put on weight and some size, I wasn't nearly as mobile on the field, but I was strong. I was good at receiving the ball and distributing to those around me. So when I was on the field, the plan was to play the ball to my feet and have me lay it off to the various players around me. Like I said, we had a kick-ass midfield with Joss, Sam, and Q, and my other options were to pass it off to one of the Ariza twins. Can't complain with having a stacked midfield and then playing alongside Tatiana and Natalia Ariza, who were fresh off the 2010 U20 World Cup in Germany. I was able to play 282, uh, 282 minutes over a span of nine games that season with most of those minutes coming in the championship tournament. As the season progressed, my job became more clear and there was more opportunity for me to get my cleats on the field when my teammates were getting injured left, right, and center. I knew their pain and I hated it for them. I felt awful being given an opportunity to live out part of my dream on the condition that their dream was ending. Senior year is a tricky one for collegiate athletes as it is. There's looming end of a career and a chapter of significant growth that is closing. I tore my ACL in my left knee during my preseason of my senior year on a funny tackle with a teammate in practice. It was done. It was over. I was supposed to have another chance to play. I was supposed to do better this time. And I could have if I really wanted to try again. But the risk of heartbreak was ultimately heavy, and the darkness was just waiting to creep back in. Ultimately, I was scared, and I didn't want to keep reliving the cycle of hope, hurt, and heartache that came with injury and disappointment in myself. Now, my story about my soccer journey may seem all negative. It wasn't. This was my experience and the side of soccer that helped me mold the way I am today. There are other moments from my experience that are so very positive and that I'll never forget. I met teammates from around the world that I'm still lucky to call some of my best friends today. We had a killer conference championship run that year in 2010 uh, when we were projected to finish dead last in the league only to lose a close game in the finals to the tournament host team. There are no words to describe the pregame dance parties, the game-winning goals, the memorable practices. I will never forget rolling the field, the skits that we were forced to do, and the team dinners. I grew up as a soccer player, and I felt like I needed to live out uh, that part of my life to fulfill my own destiny in a way. I went to Austin P, determined to do one thing, play soccer. And while I was barely able to do that, I came away from that place with a million other gifts. Unexpected gifts, but gifts that opened doors to other parts of my life that I didn't know would be important to me once I left that place. 
If soccer has taught me anything over the years, it has taught me the following four lessons. Number one, to play soccer is a verb. A soccer player is a noun. I was a girl playing soccer, but I invested so much of my identity into being a soccer player that it became my only identity. When I could no longer use the verb, the noun was lost. And then, who was this shell of a person? I was hollow and I was desperately searching for a way to fill the void where soccer once was. I was still a part of the team, sure. I still attended practice and games and went on all the road trips, but I was insignificant. I was worthless, I was useless. And I definitely wasn't a soccer player when I couldn't play soccer. Number two, grief and loss need to be felt and we cannot distract from this. You need to feel the raw emotions of it all. Grief can be the loss of a person or it can be the loss of what you thought your life would be like. I like to think that I use soccer as my outlet but my recent time in therapy has actually shown me that I have a tendency to use these outlets in unhealthy ways so that they become distractions and keep me from feeling what actually needs to be felt. Susan David, a Harvard-educated researcher and the author of the book Emotional Agility, says that the need to, to have feelings go away means that we have dead people's goals. We feel until we die, and the death of people or the loss of a dream it actually makes us feel. If we aren't feeling, we aren't really living. Number three, good teammates and coaches love unconditionally. There are always people that will tie your worth to your performance, but if it hadn't been for a coach that cared and an athletic training staff that was patient and teammates that kept me upright when I was on the verge of falling off the cliff, I would not have come out of those four years in college as a better person. I was forced to work for what I wanted. I was not the player that Kelly recruited, but she showed me compassion and I felt loved as a person anyway. My teammates were probably really frustrated with me. Anyone who got paired up with me for a drill or a fitness activity was pretty much guaranteed to come last, but somehow they loved me anyway. People around me had every reason to not love me. But to this day, I know that the girls that I called my teammates are so much more than that. They are family, and family loves unconditionally. Number four, you can keep being an athlete after college, even if it's not at a high level. After college, I lived abroad for a year. Even after all my injuries and my identity crisis, I sought out opportunities to continue to play soccer. I wound up playing with a men's team twice a week in the small town where I lived and had an absolute blast. I then found out about a women's team in a neighboring city and they sent someone to my town to pick me up for training and for games. Since returning to Canada, I've played co-ed soccer with former teachers of mine, indoor soccer with teenage boys way out of my league, and on various women's teams with past teammates. And now, without my identity being tied so firmly to that soccer player name, I play because I can, because my body allows me to, because I enjoy the camaraderie, and because it's a meaningful form of activity to me. I love it, and I'm so happy to be back in my soccer cleats. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Badass Podcast. 
If you like what you heard, feel free to share it with a friend or send us a DM on Instagram at the modern badass podcast to tell us what you think as we continue on this path of storytelling. We can now be found on Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, and on Spotify. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. If you like what you hear, can't wait for you to join us next Monday at noon for our next episode.